This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we look at two intimately connected parables in the stories of a crazy farmer and his mustard seed and a credulous woman and her baked goods. Absolutely. Today, we get to put to use the mechanics we learned in the last episode. So we learned all about pardes. Brent, take us through the four different levels of Jewish hermeneutics. So you have Peshat, Ramez, Drash, and Sod. Peshat is like a surface-level reading, what the words say in a literal sense. Ramez is the hint that points you back to an Old Testament scripture. And the Drash is the the uh, the wisdom that you're supposed to get out of that Old Testament scripture. And then Sod is wisdom that you get directly and only from God. Excellent. So as we look at teachings from rabbis, particularly Jesus for us here in the Gospels, um, we can be looking for those, and especially true, most prominently true in parables. It's like the mechanics of how a parable works. And again, I'm oversimplifying that. I am over-mechanizing it, if that's a word. I am over-formulating it because we are Western and we like to, and for the sake of learning how to engage the practice, I'm okay with that. I like to always give that disclaimer, like we're overdoing it, but it's just good for us to learn how to use the technique. It's okay to do that. As long as we remember, it's not like you can, you can definitely do too much of this. You can go too far. You can hold everything too rigidly. Don't do that. There's an exception to every rule. Always. You can go too far with everything. We've talked about law of first mention. We've talked about the meanings of numbers, all of that stuff. You can go too far with it. Correct. But absolutely. As I teach people how to edit photos, it's like, how do you understand when you've oversaturated an image? Well, every time you edit, you crank the saturation all the way up and then you crank it all the way down and then you come back to the middle and you find where it should be. Oh, wow. So you kind of have to take, you have to push the boundaries to figure out where you should. I like that. Man. You need to bring more of that magic out of the Brent Billings toolbox to this podcast, Brent. Man, kind of goodness. Well, whatever. People are always telling me. Marty, got to learn to shut up more and let Brent talk more. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I say things when I have things to say. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah, So good. All right, Brent. How about you read us? We got two little... They're not big. They're they're not like sower passages. We're not going to be reading tons and tons of verses. We got two very small parables here. As you're, you read them, and you're like, wow, that's a parable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one or two verses. Read us the first one, if you don't mind. What, what's the address here? The, the parables actually fit, uh, very, the length of the parables fit very well with the content of the parables. Oh, oh I like that. I like that. Brent's on a roll today. This is good. So we're in Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 31. Okay. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds... Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. All right, so let's go ahead and use these mechanics we learned. Let's look at Peshat. Let's wrestle with Peshat. Let's try to find Remezas, and then let's see if it opens the door potentially to Drash. Um, and, and we'll do that again with the next parable and, and so on and so forth. So uh, let's see if we can, let's just talk Peshat uh, right off the bat here. So if we're just going to look at this parable, um, what are some things that you just noticed right off the bat without, I mean, you know, you know some of the context here, Brent, we're gunning for, but let's not jump into some of that context yet. Let's, what are just some things that you notice about, if you're hearing this parable on a surface level, what are the things that you grab? Well, the kingdom of heaven is not an anvil that is dropping onto the world. Yes, right. Uh, in full force. It is, right. 
It is this tiny little thing that that starts small and then grows into something great. Which reminds me, I don't know how many episodes ago, we talked about two-part and three-part eschatology. You'll see all throughout Matthew 13, and we referenced this already when we were talking about John the Baptist and his wrestling matches with who Jesus is and how Jesus is doing his ministry. But you'll notice as you as you look at the parables here, a very definite adherence to a three-part Jewish eschatology. This is not a two-part eschatology where the kingdom comes with a loud crash and fire and trumpets and massive, here we are, throw the curtains open. All these images start unbelievably small, hence your reference uh, earlier. Like this is a seed. And this isn't just any seed. Like a seed would be small enough, but this is what, Brent? The smallest of all seeds. The smallest of all seeds. Like it's, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny little, little thing. And the kingdom of God starts with something incredibly tiny. Um, now let's let's start diving into some context. Context that we don't often have as a reader, but Jesus says original listeners would have had. So um, let me let me pull up this passage here. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Okay, right off the bat there. Everybody listening to Jesus would have been like, you're kidding, right? They would have been laughing, chuckling, because mustard seed is, in their world, a toxic weed. You cannot get rid of it. Once mustard starts in your field, you can burn it, you can poison it, you can chop it up, you can dig it up, you can do whatever you want to. You cannot get rid. I've been told, I'm no botanist, but I have been told that the root system of these mustard plants is so immense and complicated and intertwined, you just can't get rid of it. There's nothing you can do to it that actually stops the growth of it. And so it's unbelievably frustrating. Um, I'm sure our listeners all around the country have their own versions of this kind of idea. Canadian thistle for some of us here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, Ragweed. uh, I'm trying to remember some of the things I've heard from the Midwest and back East, but you you all have your versions of, especially if you're agricultural or grew up on a farm, you know similar things. So when Jesus says, well, the kingdom of heaven, it looks like a farmer that went out and planted mustard seed in his field. Like everybody's like, what? Nobody would do that. So so I'm just I'm I'm just looking for Peshat principles to take away. So number one, you said the kingdom of heaven is small; it's it starts tiny. Um, but uh, what are do you have any other couple like uh, what are some couple takeaways you would have here with just a little bit of context added, Brent? What is I can think of two things I would pull I I would pull out of this. What do you think? Well, additional Peshat things. Yeah, kingdom of heaven is just Peshat principles. It's small. Becomes a tree and birds okay, crush in the branches. Okay, so. before we jump there, okay, let's think of just the the context of noxious weed. What's the takeaway from that? If the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man planted in his field, the kingdom of heaven must be what? Something that the world doesn't want. Okay, we could say it that way. The word I always love to, to use is counterintuitive. Like the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. A, the kingdom of heaven is small, starts small, starts really tiny. The kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive. And another one I love to throw in here is the kingdom of heaven is unstoppable. Like you cannot stop mustard seed once it gets started, once you get started. So these are all just no text, just Peshat takeaways from Jesus's parable. And I'm just looking at what he's, he's using a metaphor here. The kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed that a farmer planted. And I'm just immediately taking away from a Peshat level, some principles here, small it's counterintuitive. Like everybody would look at it. You're right. The world would look at it and be like, what are you doing? They don't understand it. And B, it's C, it's unstoppable. 
And we, we've got one more, and you started to head there. Um, next statement that Jesus makes, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants, or excuse me, the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Now, again, Jesus' original listeners would have been like, what are you talking about? Because there are two different kinds of mustard seed, mustard, um, just mustard, mustard plants, if you will. One of them is a bush. It's more like a, a more like a spreading shrub, if you will. It's the one that I've seen. Well, I guess I've seen both uh, over in Israel. The other one is an actual tree, not a super large tree, but large enough that birds could come, I suppose, and nest in its branches. But they are not the same plants. Like the shrub will never become the tree. The tree does not start as a shrub. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed, that is the smallest of all garden plants, and yet grows to become a tree, you're like, no, no, it's it's not, Jesus. So there, there's something taking place there. But before we jump, that but that moment, by the way, and we talked about this last time, Brent, when you were talking about pardes, that moment where you go, that doesn't make any sense is the moment where all the lights on your dashboard should be going off. It's that moment where, okay, wait a minute, something, the rabbi wants me to notice something here. That is an indication that you're stumbling upon something, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's just take the the Peshat, let's just find a Peshat takeaway. It's small, it's counterintuitive, it's unstoppable. And what kind of takeaway would you take, Brent, from this idea that birds come and nest like what? How do we phrase a Peshat takeaway there? It's going to be a blessing to the nations. It's going to be a blessing to whatever is around, right? Whatever this thing is, it's going to bless everything around it. Okay. So four takeaways, Peshat takeaways: small, counterintuitive, unstoppable, blessing to those around it. All right. So now let's think of Ramez. And if I'm looking for the Ramez, that's that moment that I just referred to a second ago. It's that moment where you're like, wait, something isn't right. The lights on your dashboard goes off. The flags go up. It's that moment that I pay attention to when I'm looking for a remez. When Jesus says that this becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its, that is where my lights are going off going, I wonder if there's a remez there. And of course, again, we're always speeding up this process because this should take us some time as we all search our brains if we're 2,000 years ago for the remez. Or if we're not 2,000 years ago, and we are here today, as we jump on BibleGateway.com and we search for possibilities, there's always a time period here that we are shortcutting. We need to remind ourselves of that. This is a process. For the sake of the podcast, we're taking some shortcuts. For the sake of our listeners, they need to know that this is a process. This takes time. And not just like a little bit of time, not like, oh, I'm going to jump on Bible Gateway for 15 minutes. Sometimes it takes just a few minutes. Sometimes it takes a few days. Sometimes it takes weeks. And I've worked on some parables and teachings for years um, and and even had students clue me in after years of study, uh, had students of mine, very young, untrained students of mine, connect the dots for me. It's just this beautiful process when we do these things together, which is why, as you always say, Discussion groups, so important. But I'm thinking about this whole tree thing. Sure enough, if I look for, and, and it's not just a tree. Like, what's the unnecessary part of that, Brent? Like, Jesus could just say, it's like um, it's like a farmer planting mustard seed in his field, and though it's the smallest of all plants, it grows up to be a great gigantic tree. What's the part that's unnecessary? 
He says it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Okay. And what what else is unnecessary about that? Well, if it's that big of a tree, it seems like it would be obvious that the birds would perch in its branches. Okay, but and yet, you, but you wouldn't need to point that out, right? Right. It, it, it would just be kind of self-explanatory. That's a weird phrase. Of all the things you could say about a large tree, talk about shade. Talk about what, like the birds of the air come and nest in this. That's weird. So we start looking for that, and of course, we find it. it comes out of Ezekiel seventeen, which I love because I think Jesus remezes Ezekiel. In my opinion, this is personal opinion. I wasn't taught this. In my opinion, I think Jesus is referencing Ezekiel more than any other prophet or book in the Old Testament. He quotes directly uh, Deuteronomy the most, um, Psalms the second most, and what is the third, Brent? Is it Isaiah? I believe it's Isaiah. As far as direct quotations. But as far as remezes, the remez, buried in a teaching. I think Ezekiel is one of the most common go-tos, which I love. Because if Jesus has a rabbi who's an Essene, one of the things we know about the Essenes is the Essenes had this infatuation with the book of Ezekiel because the book of Ezekiel was so difficult to understand and to interpret. The Essenes said, well, we got to just focus on that book. And so if Jesus has all these, that's what I would expect from a guy trained by an Essene. I would expect a bunch of remezes from that book. Interesting. Nevertheless, neither here nor there. So listeners might do well if they wanted to memorize an Old Testament book to uh, go through Ezekiel. Oh, man, and that is taken off. Uh, that is a bite. Uh, that is a lot to chew on right there. I mean, that Ezekiel's not going to be an easy go-to. Uh, well, and just a reminder, when, when we talk about memorization, we're not talking about stacking right. the entire book, right. being able to recite it from front to back. Right. Take a chunk at a time, memorize it, right. set it aside, move on to the next Correct. book. Correct. Still a big bite of scripture to yes. take. The just book the of content in and of itself will be a lot to just try to parse and, man, that'll be intense. So yeah. challenge accepted by somebody out there. Good work. Um, but go ahead and read us. You have a tell us the address of Ezekiel seventeen, where this I believe this romance is linked. Starting in verse twenty-two, this is what the sovereign Lord says: I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. All right, so let's just stay in Ezekiel for just a moment before we race ahead to Jesus. Ezekiel is having this vision, and one of the pictures that he gets is of God's people represented by a tree. And they're they're in captivity. They're in exile. If you remember, Ezekiel is an exilic prophet. They're, they're in exile, and God is going to take them, he says, and he's going to transplant them. He's going to lop off the top of the cedar. He's going to plant this tree, and this tree is going to grow. It's going to be this lowly, pathetic-looking tree, but it's going to grow, and it's going to grow so much it's going to become this gigantic tree, and this tree is going to be so beneficial that birds of the air from everywhere are going to come nest in its branches. Now, I can't remember what all we talked about with the um, uh, podcast on Ezekiel, Brent, but in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel will talk about animals a lot, fish, birds, beasts of the field, and whenever he does, very common in rabbinical thought, um, almost always those animals and the beasts and the 
fish and the birds of the book almost always represent what, Brent? The kingdom of Israel. Uh, no, that would be the tree. Oh, that's the tree. Yes. So the birds and the beasts. Oh, the, and Those would be the other nations. Uh, that'd be the rest of the nations. Oh, yeah. So like whenever you're reading Ezekiel and you have fishermen, like at the end of Ezekiel, standing on the bank and fishing out of the river, fish, which makes me think of a rabbi calling people of what profession, Brent? Fishermen. And telling them that he's going to make them. Fishes of men. A clear reference to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel said, there's going to come a day where I'm going to call many fishermen, and they're going to stand on the bank of the river, and out of the river they're going to catch many great fish, and they're going to lay their nets on the shore to dry in the sun. This is all these things in the gospel calling back to Ezekiel. Why is Jesus doing this? Because it's in the text. So here is another passage in Ezekiel talking about birds. So the birds represent who and what, Brent? The the other nations. Gentiles, Gentile right? Nations. Anybody who's not a good Orthodox Jew. And God is saying, listen, you're in captivity, but I'm going to take you and I'm going to plant you. And you are going to grow into an incredible tree. And you are finally going to do, if you remember session one and session two, really session two, you are finally going to do the mission that I sent you out to do. The mission we saw in session one, to bless all nations. Like, what is this tree in Ezekiel? This tree in Ezekiel is the fulfillment of what God told Avram he was going to do through him. When we talk about story A and story B and justice and idolatry and that whole thing of session two, what does this tree represent? It represents the people of God finally remembering and doing what God sent them out to do. This tree is God's people being planted. And I love what Ezekiel says here. God says, all the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall, which I think all of a sudden fits what Jesus said. In immediate context, you were like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like a mustard seed doesn't become a tree. Like it's a low bush. But Ezekiel said, but the low bush I make grow tall, just so that all the trees of the field would know that I am the Lord. That does, could we say, Brent, counterintuitive things. Absolutely. Could we say starts small as a small cedar and becomes a gigantic thing? Absolutely. Could we say it's unstoppable because of what the Lord is doing? Sure seems that way. And obviously the reference here is the fact that it's going to bless everybody around it. And now we realize this is Jesus' remes. So now let's go back to Jesus and let this connect us to the, what's the next level, Brent? The drosh. Drosh, right? So what is Jesus' big idea in this parable? Well, the prophecy of Ezekiel 17 is speaking of a day when the people of God might fulfill their calling to be a blessing to all nations. In the greater context of Ezekiel, it becomes clear that the birds of the sky are the Gentiles. So it becomes a better and a better assumption that what Jesus is teaching here, like what his drosh might be in this parable, is that the kingdom of heaven is this small, counterintuitive movement that is unstoppable, and it starts small, but has incredible potential. And what actually, what exactly are we talking about when we say the, when we start talking about the content of this kingdom, the disciple who knows this text might immediately deduce that Jesus is suggesting generosity and love towards the outsiders. Now, what is Matthew's agenda, Brent? The mumser. The mumser. Do you think Matthew loved these parables? Absolutely. Uh, I think absolutely. Once he, once they wrestled with the remez and the drosh, I think. But now, before we, before we wrap this up with a nice tidy bow, let's grab the next little small parable, which sounds to me like when you read it, they are so intimately connected, almost in the same paragraph, that I want to ask myself, I wonder if these parables are parallel. I wonder if they're teaching 
the same thing. So give me the next parable, Brett. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. All right. So let's do the same thing. Let's start Peshat. And let's go with our theory here. Let's ask ourselves if the parallel here, the parable is parallel. So we said that the kingdom of heaven starts small. Is that relevant here in this parable, Brent? Works for yeast. Yep. Yep. So very, how much, how much yeast does she put in there? It doesn't say how much. Oh, it doesn't say how much. Interesting. A little bit. I must remember a little bit. You don't put a lot of yeast in. Now it says, well, hold on just a second. I'll get to that in a moment. How about, um, like we said, it was counterintuitive. Is there anything counterintuitive about this? Uh, I mean, I guess if you don't know how yeast works, then it would seem crazy that you could put in a little bit of yeast and have it go through 60 pounds of flour. Right. And you're right. We're going to assume that most people probably have a basic knowledge of that. And yet, I think the counterintuitive piece here is that yeast in biblical, like yeast always represents what, Brent? Mm, Is it teachings? Uh, Not quite. Nope. It's something very negative. Remember, like the mustard seed was a toxic weed. Leaven always represents, like Paul will say in Corinthians. Oh, sin. Yes, we have to remove, like in the Passover and the Seder meal, you're not allowed to have any leaven. You have to have this festival of unleavened bread. You have to search your house, remove all the lemon, because leaven represents sin and everything has to be unleavened. If you remember God in Leviticus saying, every sacrifice that you bring to me has to be what, Brent? Unleavened bread. Has to be unleavened, right? So you cannot bring a leaven because leaven, leaven has this negative connotation. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, you have the same reaction that you have when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed. Like, wait, what? Okay, so it does fit the kingdom of heaven is small. It does fit that the kingdom of heaven is counterintuitive because in a Jewish context, you are not going to expect a rabbi to make a parallel between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and leaven. Those two things aren't supposed to go together. So why is it okay the rest of the year if it... Because God didn't want to punish us with unleavened bread for our entire existence. <laughs> it makes for a wonderful symbol and a wonderful teaching tool, but only if it shows up every now and then. Okay. All right. Fair enough, right? And uh, let's see. What was the other thing we said? Unstoppable. Can you stop yeast, Brent? Once you, you put yeast into a little bit of dough? No, nope, that's it. That's it. Can't get it back out. Can't undo it, right? Okay. And uh, let's see here. She bakes uh, bread. Let's start. Uh, is it going to be a blessing? At 60 pounds, I would hope that it's for more know. than her. Excellent. And our, is that the new NAV, Brent? Does it actually translate 60 pounds? It does. Let's see. There's a footnote on it. It says, or about 27 kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it actually just goes ahead and translates 60 pounds, which we can just we can just automatically just sit here and go, okay, 60 pounds, that is a lot of flour, right? That is, hey, I feel like we've talked about this before, Brent. Have we talked about? It does sound familiar. I feel like we talked once about 60 pounds of flour being a lot of flour. And I asked our listeners to think about, imagine 60 pounds of flour on your kitchen counter and how much yeast and how much, or or maybe we didn't talk about yeast back then, but how much baking would have to take place. Where does this, I think we're listening to our remez here, Brent. Sounds like it. Do you remember where we talked about this? This was uh, uh, Sarah. Sarah. Okay. So in our show notes, we're going to link the podcast where we talked about this. It's going to be at the beginning of our Here I Am podcast. 
Episode 11. Episode 11. But we spent some time talking about the story of Abraham and these three visitors. And if you remember, he goes to say, I'm going to go grab a fattened calf and we're going to set up a banquet. And quick, Sarah, get three sayas, three sayas of flour, which we talked about before was 60 pounds. Get three sayas of flour and bake it into bread. Now, what Matthew actually says, and the new NIV translates it away. I'm so frustrated. But what Matthew actually says is three measures, because three measures would have made us think of three sayas, which is a measure. And we would have thought about Sarah connected directly in the text because of the language. I'm so, a little surprised it doesn't say three measures in the footnote. That, yeah, I know. That feels a little... Dis, yeah, a little disingenuous. Unless yeah. that's a new principle that the new NIV follows. Maybe. They might just be doing the calculations for us. Anyway, so that's our remez, is that this story, we've heard it before. Like, this story, in essence, Jesus is like, remember remember that story about Sarah baking all that bread for the visitors? We, this, the kingdom of heaven is like that day. The kingdom of heaven is like that day where Sarah made, and remember if we talked about it, Brent, we said it was, the rabbis considered it a miracle, that she was able to make that much bread. Now the Westerner in us goes, well, I'm sure she had servants and help. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the rabbis are like, no, no, no. If you want to practice radical hospitality, I believe we said, radical hospitality, the rabbis said, God will always miraculously bless your radical efforts at hospitality. Now, now, now wait a minute. Is this, what was the other thing we talked about, Brent, with the story with Sarah and Avram? What was the thing about the visitors that was so stunning? Uh, we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. And the assemb- obviously, they're visitors, which, what's another word for visitor that we we might use? Outsiders, foreigners. Or uh, the alien, alien, right? The alien, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Here are these foreigners, and, a- and Avram is willing to do anything for the foreigners. This comes right before the story of what, Brent, in Genesis? This story is juxtaposed immediately by the next story. The visitors are there to pronounce the fact that they're going to destroy what? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom. And when you go to that story, what does Sodom do with the visitors? They do not welcome them. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a very PC way to Put talk about Put it tactfully. That. Yes. So they don't welcome the visitors. So these two stories, this story was about radical hospitality. So now if I go back and I go, okay, wait a minute. Jesus is saying, so what's the drosh? Well, the drot, this parable is exactly the same as the mustard seed parable. They are exactly parallel. The kingdom of heaven is small. Small acts of hospitality. Small acts of radical hospitality. Small, tiny acts will start something that is counterintuitive and unstoppable. Because the world will not understand what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense that you think that baking bread for foreigners, that you think that offering shade to foreigners is going to change the world. It's counterintuitive. It cannot be stopped, and it's going to bless. And specifically, Matthew's agenda, the kingdom of heaven, is bent towards blessing who, Brent? The mumser. The mumser. This is Matthew's agenda. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. If the kingdom of heaven is about blessing you and yourselves as the blessed ones, if this is about you as a chosen group of people, you as the proper tribe, you as the... You're missing the kingdom of heaven because that's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we have Jesus teaching these thoughts in parables too. And again, if we go back to the sower, why do you teach people like this? 
Because not everybody wants to understand this. Because if people truly understood this, they'd have to change what they do. They'd have to change when they go home. They'd have to change how they treat the Gentile. They would have to actually go home and change the way they treat the Roman. They would have to go home and change the way they treat the alien and the foreigner. They would have to change the way that they hoard all their goods and their wealth. And so they don't really want to learn this stuff. And so I teach them in parables because only people that are truly trying to dig and to find and to know, he who has ears, let him hear. Only those who have ears to hear, who want to find the kingdom of God, are going to actually find this, discover it, and be transformed and made new by the teachings of the kingdom of heaven. I think that's good for today, Brent. It's good stuff. Oh, hey, I had a couple of recommendations, by the way. Oh, yes, go ahead. Um, about, uh, so this parable of the leaven, uh, I have friends down at uh, Truman State University, um, uh, Christian Campus Fellowship, Campus Christian Fellowship, CCF. I'm not sure which one it is. I'd have to look it up. But uh, CCF, uh, really good friends there. Um, Derek Flood, Reed Dent, all the staff there. Just love those guys. Love the work that they do. Reed Dent, uh, one of the teachers there that will preach at CCF's gatherings, um, World of Campus Ministry in Missouri. Uh, his wife did a sermon for their ministry recently on uh, on the parable of Levin. Super great. Wonderful takeaways. Um, much more, uh, not nearly as long-winded as I am. 20 minutes. But really, really cool things that she brought out and just loved that message enough. I wanted to link it in our show notes. And while we're at it, we'll just kind of link there. If... I get listeners all the time that just love to listen to podcasts, always looking for new podcasts, always looking for more material, because apparently they've got more time in their schedule than just the Baymont podcast. If you're listening to this podcast now, you probably like to listen to podcasts. This so. is true. And if you need more, let me recommend another one. I love the, what, the work that they do with their campus ministry at CCF. So we're going to also link just their general sermons podcast. Uh, those guys are readers. I love those guys. They read, they study. Um, they read out loud, which makes me horribly uncomfortable. I go hang out with those guys and they just like, it's the weirdest thing. I don't know if any of them will listen to this, but they'll just like walk and read out loud to each other. Um, I think, I think I don't like it because it makes me like emotionally uncomfortable. Like I, I like to read like on my own quietly so that if I'm stirred and mo- but they read like good stuff, like stuff that stirs you every single time you read it and they read it out loud. Anyway, what it does is it creates this unbelievably artistic and just well done. I, lo- I love their work. So if you're looking for more material out there, shout out to my good friends there in Missouri at Truman State University. Go ahead and listen to their stuff. It's pretty fantastic. I'm going to have to give that one a shot. All right. It's pretty creative. I like, I like, their, I like their stuff. All right. Well, if you are listening to this, uh, you can go to baymontdiscipleship.com. You can find out how to get hold of us. You can find all the past episodes and uh, future episodes that will be coming out imminently. Uh, so thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.